You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, September 30th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, the California Report surveys COVID-19 vaccine mandates, including the state requirement for healthcare workers that goes into effect today. Plus, it's not your imagination. Northern California is typically exposed to many more days of wildfire smoke than the southern part of the state. After regional news and weather, it's time for Brave Hearts. We wrap up the newscast with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The state's vaccination mandate for healthcare workers in hospitals and clinics starts today. The order covers physicians, nurses, and medical technicians, as well as support staff in medical facilities, like janitors and food service workers. The news website CalMatters reports some of California's largest healthcare providers, like Kaiser Permanente and Dignity Health, have seen wide compliance. With many reporting a 90% vaccination rate among employees. There also appears to be relatively few requests for vaccination exemptions based on religious beliefs or health issues. California announced the vaccination mandate for healthcare workers in early August, becoming the first state in the nation to do so. With so much social media inundated with vaccine misinformation, YouTube has announced it's cracking down on it again. With more, here's KQED's Rachel Myro. According to a company blog post, the Google-owned social media platform is expanding its existing COVID-19 vaccine misinformation ban. YouTube now says it will ban prominent anti-vaccine accounts and remove videos claiming approved vaccines cause health problems like autism or infertility, but personal testimonies relating to vaccines will be allowed to remain on the site so long as the video doesn't violate other community guidelines. Quote, we will continue to invest across the board in the policies and products that bring high-quality information to our viewers, the blog post said. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. Turning to other news, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a series of bills yesterday to combat the state's homelessness crisis. One big goal is to create more accountability for the billions of dollars the state plans on spending to try to end homelessness. Newsom says starting immediately, local governments must commit to specific goals in order to receive certain state funding. We have a unique responsibility because nothing like the homeless crisis exists anywhere else in the United States like it exists and persists here in the state of California. So we have to do more and we have to do better. The state recently earmarked $22 billion to house and treat people experiencing homelessness. That money is supposed to fund the creation of 84,000 new affordable housing units and 22,000 treatment beds for people transitioning out of homelessness who have physical and behavioral health needs. And let's turn to fires. As part of our continuing investigation, Dangerous Air, KCRW's Kaylee Wells found out how some Californians are coping with the smoke created by wildfires and why the smoke hit some parts of the state harder than others. Open it up. Adrian Vincent is opening an air purifier in her home. This gets the smaller parts, the smallest of particles. This is for uh, carbon. She's been selling them for 25 years, and she's gotten a lot more business lately. 
September, the start of wildfire season in Southern California, has become a big month for her. Because that's when people line up to get machines because they can't breathe. Arlene Fleck has started to see that change at her home in Irvine. We found the number of smoke days has tripled to 30 days every year. She says when it gets bad, she has a hard time breathing and gets headaches. It's gotten to the point where we have fires so much that even like when we have fog, I'm like, okay, is that smoke now or is that fog? Last year, Fleck evacuated her home not because of wildfire, but because of the smoke that seeped through the walls of her home. The smoke in Irvine was pretty typical for Southern California. In L.A., the average days of smoke per year jumped from 9 to 32. The smoke was especially incessant in Malibu and Brentwood, home to some of the most destructive fires here, and Castaic, which is a rural community surrounded by dry brush. Health experts say that jump to a month of smoke every year can damage everything, including your lungs and your heart. NPR's California Newsroom found in 2018 there were 30,000 more hospitalizations for cardiac and respiratory issues statewide than just two years before. If the smoke in Southern California sounds bad, our analysis found it gets even more persistent as you head north. Fleck had to shoot a movie in Stockton recently, and she said the ash falling from the sky was great ambiance for her horror film, but not great for breathing. It was uh, pretty rough while I was up there, and I felt so bad for them. I'm like, how do they do this all the time? Like, for us, you know, we have them, but it's nowhere like it has been up there. We found people in Stockton breathe wildfire smoke for 60 days every year on average. Go even farther north, and some communities are exposed to smoke for 90 days. So why isn't Southern California getting quite as much smoke? UCLA environmental science professor Michael Jared has part of the answer. The fuel load is much greater in Northern California because of the type of vegetation they have. In other words, the fires here usually burn fast through dry grasslands and shrubs. Northern California has big, tall trees that burn a lot longer, releasing more smoke for each acre burned. So when those large trees start to burn, they put off more emissions. And although we do get very severe wildfires in Southern California, the fuel load, if you think about it on a per acre basis, is much less. Oftentimes it's less than a tenth of what you would see if you're up in a very large uh, forest with a lot of uh, conifers. Plus, much of Southern California includes desert and urban sprawl, so there's not nearly as many flammable acres as up north. So even if Chaparral is notorious for burning fast and threatening homes, there is an upside. It creates a lot less smoke than the redwoods and pine forests up north. And the result is that here in L.A., we're only breathing smoke one month out of the year. For The California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. Support for The California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of healthcare with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement.
And that is the California Report for Thursday, September 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Is the summer COVID surge finally coming to an end? At Ubinet.com's video COVID-19 status update today, Nevada County Director of Health and Human Services Ryan Gruber had some good news about the trajectory of cases in our county. Gruber noted that from a high of almost 500 cases the week of September 3rd, the county has seen a consistent decline. Last week, we had 193 confirmed cases, which Gruber said is still huge but improving. His message was loud and clear. We're not out of the woods yet. In the same webinar, Brett McFadden, superintendent of the Nevada Union Joint Union High School District, said district case numbers mirror the trend toward a downtick. McFadden noted a spike in cases took place after the county fair and the start of school in mid-August. By the third day of school, August 18th, he said, the district had 100 student cases. McFadden said the district considered shutting down or going totally to distance learning. Schools were able to stay open, he said, due to assistance from response teams from the State Department of Public Health. McFadden reassured viewers that, as he said, education is happening. He noted that last week numbers were down to a much more manageable 10 cases among students and two among staff. The County Public Health Department will offer its annual free drive through flu shot clinic Tuesday at Twin Cities Church in Grass Valley. It will take place from noon to 4 p.m. or until supplies last. Response was so enthusiastic last year that the county ran out of shots. Public Health Director Jill Blake said it expects to have more supplies on hand this year. Glenna Trochet, the county's deputy health officer, said flu and pneumonia shots may be taken at the same time as any COVID-19 vaccine or booster. As reported by the Sacramento Bee, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a law today that will make it easier to take away the badges of police officers with misconduct records. The law will also keep police officers from jumping to another law enforcement agency without facing discipline. The signing of Senate Bill 2 fulfills promises from Democrats to weed out officers with records of excessive force and other serious misconduct. California was one of only four states without a police decertification process. The new law sets up a multi-step review process to determine whether an officer's conduct warrants a suspension or license revocation. Alleged misconduct that could trigger an investigation includes physical abuse, gang activity, sexual assault, dishonesty, or tampering with evidence. Officers would have the ability to contest any disciplinary action. A reminder from a story Steve Baker covered in his news update this morning. By October 24th, folks in the 530 area code will be required to dial all 10 digits for all local calls. The Federal Communications Commission is requiring this change for prefixes affected by the establishment of 988 as the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So, in three and a half weeks, you'll be dialing the area code and the phone number if you live in the 530. In the weather for our region, a warming trend through the weekend, then cooler midweek, but no sign of precipitation for the next seven days. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mostly clear with a low of 62. 
On Friday, sunny with a few clouds, a high of 83 and a low of 63. The air quality in Nevada City late this afternoon was good with an air quality index of 21. Friday's air quality is forecast to be moderate with an expected AQI of 52. In Truckee tonight, some clouds with a low of 28. Friday in Truckee, partly cloudy with a high of 73 and a low of 30. The air quality this afternoon in Truckee was good with an air quality index of 1. Friday's air quality is forecast to be good with an expected AQI of 21. In Sacramento, generally clear tonight with a low of 52. Friday in Sacramento, mostly sunny with a high of 89 and a low of 55. Sacramento's air quality late today was good with an AQI of 16. Friday's air quality is forecast to be moderate with an expected AQI of 52. She's a social worker. He's a cop. In this week's Brave Hearts, Grass Valley Police Chief Alex Gamelgard talks about how this unique team provides a safety net for the unhoused. Welcome to this edition of Brave Hearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. This is part three of Bravehearts episode with the Grass Valley Police Department, Chief Gamelgard, discussing the uniqueness of the program with the officers and social workers. I think what Kelly said about like the clientele that, that they deal with and maybe some apprehensions about law enforcement and stuff. I think that's what's really unique is that, because some people would ask why a social worker and a law enforcement officer and some of the folks that this team is serving do have criminal backgrounds and can be dangerous. And so there's that piece, right? That's kind of the obvious piece. Okay. But then the part that I think is more nuanced is that some of the folks that Jonathan hears about from other Grass Valley police officers and or local law enforcement officers who have had extensive history with somebody. And the reason why we're starting to deal with folks like that as a police agency rather than the social service side is because for a number of reasons, maybe that individual hasn't engaged with that social service network anymore as well. And so then it's rising to our level. So really, this is sort of a safety net piece trying to pick up some of those individuals, hopefully before things progress further into a a negative space. And so, for example, if you have someone who had a good connection to a bunch of relationships, caseworkers, housing, whatever it was, and at some point have lost those connections, now we're getting calls from the community on 911 or otherwise, and they expect law enforcement to go deal with it. Mm -hmm. And Kelly's comment about Jonathan having social worker, and I think pretty much every police officer has some Mm -hmm. amount of social worker in them. Mm -hmm. Jonathan happens to develop that skill in a a way that's, you know, really impressive but I think that we get called when nobody else knows when there's nothing else to do and so Mm -hmm. we show up and it's way more powerful if we have someone like Kelly that can help navigate for us how to deal with it because at the end of the day 
we're going to get called when there's something that doesn't look right to a community member. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book stops here, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Jonathan, how would you describe your social worker quality? You know? <laughs> uh, oh, and and the, the reason why I'm asking is because it may give the community an idea mm-hmm. of how to be. Yeah. One of the things that I think that has helped with this position, my position, we have the opportunity to take time to speak with people when on a normal patrol shift, a beat officer may not have that luxury. So for instance, if we have four officers working on a day shift, well, every day is different, but let's say that 20 people call 911. Well, all of those calls are stacking up and you only have four officers to handle all those calls. So it's really, do you take an hour on the first call and let the other 19 community members wait for two hours before law enforcement arrives? Mm -hmm. Or do you try to be as efficient as possible? You handle the call, make sure it's safe, try to give the best service you can, and then clear that call and move to the next one because there's more 911s and more calls stacking up. This position is different because I don't normally handle general calls for service from the community. I don't have an assigned beat. I can drive all over the city and we're more proactive. I'm not just responding to all the 911 calls coming in. So I have the luxury of time. There's other officers that are handling all of those calls. So when we go out to speak with somebody, one of the things that we can do is we can listen. I have the time to sit there and let someone talk. And sometimes I don't say a word for 15 minutes. They may not need me to say a word. And that might be all we do. There's, there's sometimes I pull up and give somebody a bottle of water or a pair of socks and that's it. And then the next time they might want to say a couple words and then I'll drive away. And then the next time they might talk with me for 20, 30 minutes. It's like Kelly said, that progressive engagements. We have one guy that waved at Kelly the other day, which was huge because I like, was shocked. <laughs> going from zero contact, not wanting to speak with us at all, not even wanting to look at Kelly to the point where he's flagging us down in our car and waving us to come over to talk to him. That happens over a period of time. And yeah, it is, it is, uh, it can be exhausting because you think you'll make a lot of progress with somebody and then something may happen. And then it's like one step forward, two steps, steps back sometimes. But it's like the chief said, I mean, you have one of our challenges as people, right? So people are all different and and they have their own issues they're going through as well. So we just have to work with that. But I think one of the things that helps us a lot is that we get to listen. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. You know how when you have a big project and you're procrastinating, you get so many other things done you've been putting off? This dining room chair I've been piling papers, books, packing tape, Medicare instruction booklets, and so forth on for not a month, not a year, but the whole pandemic is now cleared off. It looks quite blameless, as though it never saw a three-foot pile of junk in its life. 
The icebox, too, is cleaner than usual. I won't be able to enjoy this tidiness, but my sister will. She's coming to house it and take care of my cats while I go on a small road trip. We're all hoping there won't be a horrible fire. She doesn't realize how much work it is to take care of these cats. The way Sid will eat a tiny bit of midday snack served in the kitchen and then go into the living room and wait for you to bring him the plate so he can finish it. Though he never finishes it, which is why the other three cats are getting progressively stouter. Sometimes he decides to go out on the deck, exactly as if he's suggesting a picnic, and I trundle the dish out there and put it down. Also, depending on his mood and physical state, he may ask for food but then decide that a drink of water first and a nice visit to the bushes to empty his bladder are in order, and I stand around waiting for this parade to finish. He looks up at me with roomy eyes to make sure he knows who I am, and then eats. Ordinarily, I would not put up with this nonsense, but Sid is very old and getting lighter by the week, all unkempt fur and bones, and seems to need to eat every hour or two. I'd like him to live as long as he's comfortable, and if that means treating him like Louis XIV, the King of France, I'll do it. I'm not sure my sister will do it, but I'm also not sure he'll ask it of her. He has me well trained, but he may not try any of his tricks on her. The pat and then claw in your cheek at 3 a.m., the insistent yowl when that doesn't work, how he stands at the closed front door and stares at you until you get your sorry self off the couch and open it for him. Either he's forgotten we have a cat door, or he just doesn't want to walk that far. It's hard to tell. Jack, Mimi, and India are 11-year-old siblings. They won't be problems, though Jack drools when he likes you, which is revolting. Mimi is almost always lying outside on the chairs by my front door, whichever one is in the sun being her favorite. India, the scaredy cat, has developed a pitiful yowl and is fat as a grizzly from scarfing everyone's leftovers. I'm hoping he'll be frightened enough of my sister to not beg all the time and drop some weight. I'm worrying about this now, but once I get on the road, I'll stop thinking they're all going to die while I'm gone, including my sister, and get down to the business of being away from home and seeing what the world is up to. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's Making Contact with a look at the changing population of our state. Latinos are the second largest ethnic group in the United States, and in California, their numbers grew to 39% of the populace, making them our largest ethnic group. How will these demographic changes affect California's political redistricting process? And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Your community radio station gets support from Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. 
Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And the Nevada County Public Health Department, reminding listeners that all California residents age 12 and over are eligible for COVID-19 vaccination. Details at mynevadacounty.com slash coronavirus slash vaccine. The KVMR Evening News airs every weekday at 6 p.m. If you missed any stories or want to hear them again, visit the website kvmr.org or listen to the KVMR News wherever you get your podcasts. Have a terrific evening.